Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Sunshine Boys Sports Report. I'm Jim Williams, your host. We have Joe Henderson with us. We have Ira Kaufman with us. And our guest today is our national baseball writer for Sports Talk Florida, Tim Williams, up in Boston, Massachusetts. And guys, since last we spoke, uh, we are winding down on the Olympics. And there's been some fun stuff and some crazy stuff. Um, Joe, Ira, any thoughts uh, on the Olympics and, and how we what, what you've been impressed with and what you haven't been so impressed with? Joe, last week I said I wasn't into the Olympics, and I think I need to amend that because okay. some of the performances, Jim, have been so sublime mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just a lot of fun, like Usain mm-hmm. Bolt uh, having a lot of fun out there, Phelps, of course, mm-hmm. women's gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard some woman dove at the finish line yesterday. I haven't seen the video of that. Um, mm-hmm. Can anybody tell me what happened on that? Yeah, she was right there at the finish line, and the only way she thought she could win is just to literally dive. Wow. Um, and she did. And most sprinters do not normally do that. Most, uh, you know, that the track is a little rough when you when you just dive. And, uh, <laughs> and she uh, And she won, right, Jim? She won? she won, yeah, absolutely. It was kind of like a horse race. She's like, she won by a nose, you know, one of those kind of things. But uh, no, she did win. And uh, I, I guess there isn't any rule against it. So, uh, Joe, so you ever see, um, Joe, you ever see an athlete have more fun than uh, Usain Bolt? Joe? Hello? Joe? Unmute yourself, Joe. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I will answer for Joe while he's getting please, uh please do, please do please do please uh, do and thank you Arnold. Harold, am i still there now you yeah, are joe i asked you if have you ever oh. seen an athlete have more fun than usain bolt no <laughs> i mean he's uh good grief he is like a um uh, a, i don't know how you describe him he's he's a phenomenon he's 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 spotting this field of world-class sprinters you know, like half the race before he kicks it into gear, and and he he runs them down. Justin Gatlin just is is shaking his head at the end of this race, going, "What do I got to do to beat this guy?" And the answer is, "You're not going to." And then he goes around. He's a, a bold is just a natural crowd pleaser. He gets it. Sports is sure it's competition, and and you and you want um, you know the the best that you can be, but have some fun along the way. And, and I think uh, Usain Bolt is really what the Olympics are all about. You know, I saw and something interesting, guys, that about Usain Bolt. And that was that in the 40, uh, in the 100, I'm sorry, in the 100, it takes him 40 strides to win the race. It takes everyone else 44 or more. Yes, yes, that's right, Jim. That's right. Um, tell me if you think I'm wrong, guys. Um, there's a segment of the audience, I don't think it's large, but I think it's there, who uh, who don't like Bolt. They say these are antics, and they don't think he um, shows enough humility uh, and doesn't behave like he's supposed to. Uh, you, you think there's a little segment that thinks that way? Yeah, right. I think there is. I mean, but at the end of the day, those are the same people who – probably like the unwritten rules of baseball like like you know they're, they're the kind of people that don't like fun in sports i mean it's like yes. 
uh, we talked last week about, you know, Hank Stram and, you know, Jerry Glanville, who, you know, used to say that NFL stood for the not for fun league. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There are probably people who would rather he be, you know, like, oh gosh, you know, I'm so honored to be the world's fastest man, as opposed to someone who runs into the crowd, takes selfies with people that he has no idea who they are. And, uh, and just enjoys the fact that, that he is the, the best athlete in the world at his particular, uh, at his particular vocation, which of course is the 100 and 200 meter dash. And, and I don't see where it's not fun, but you're right. There are likely more than a few people who, who don't like seeing Usain Bolt have as much fun being as good as he is. And it's kind of, they think it's an arrogance, but I don't think there's anything arrogant about him. I think he's just one of these guys that, you know, if, even if he finished second, he would probably just be just as happy. No, he shows well, respect. And, and, uh, Joe, he shows respect to his opponents, Joe. Oh, well, sure he does. Uh, but, but here's the thing that, that, you know, if people haven't actually watched one of these races in person, uh, maybe I can understand how they, they might feel that, you know, you should dial it down a notch, but the way they introduce those sprinters to the crowd, it is like, um, the introductions for a heavyweight fight or, or the NBA finals. They're really, you know, they're encouraging these athletes to, to show their personalities and to, to engage with the crowd and stuff. So uh, I'm not saying Bolt wouldn't do that anyway, but this is part of the sport today is a recognition that if you're going to come there and, and watch this race that takes 10 seconds uh, tops or, you know, you're, they're going to need to, uh, to jazz it up a little bit. And they do that. And Usain Bolt is just the perfect guy for that. Hey, Tim is our resident millennial. Um, (laughs) But what's your thoughts on Usain Bolt and, and the Olympics in general? Well, I should start by saying, regarding Bolt, when the title on the line is fastest man in the world, which we do tend to call the winner of the 100 meters at the Olympics the fastest man in the world, it's it's kind of hard to be too humble about that. It's <laughs> when, when you have that in the offing, you have to be very confident. I wouldn't call it... I wouldn't call it arrogance by any stretch, but he's very confident, and he should be. He's the first guy to hold that title for, by the end of it, it'll be about 12 years. And, and Jim, you know, he's been so dominant mm-hmm. uh, that the guy that won the 400, and I believe in, in world record time, uh, nobody's talking about him, Jim, because, right. um, you know, he and like everybody else is, is in both shadow. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a big shadow. I mean, there's no question about it, but I remember Bolt at Beijing. And if you remember, he was winning by so much the first time he ran that race, he literally slowed up and almost walked across the finish line. <laughs> well, they, they had a great photo of him the other night at the finish as, as, he, as he pulled mm-hmm. ahead and he, and he was going to win the race. And they got this perfect expression of him kind of looking to the side with this. Right. Yeah. This look that just said, you like that, guys? How'd you like that? <laughs> Joe, Not is there any, just, let's go. <laughs> Joe, any truth, uh, any truth to the rumor, Joe, that uh, Bucks coach Dirk Cutter wants to know if uh, 
if Volk can catch a football? Any, any truth to those uh, rumors? <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I think you ought to plant the seed. Well, remember Willie Galt, of course, yes. and then Bob Hayes. Remember Bob I mean, Hayes. Guys, there have been many guys who, who in our lifetime have been the fastest people. You know, uh, Carl Lewis even w- gave a uh, a shot at at least trying out a couple of times for some teams. And so and Bob Hayes, uh, Jim Bob yeah. Hayes ended up in uh, Ken. He's got a bust. He's, he's an yeah. old man. Yeah. No, there's no question. I mean, when Bob Bolt Hayes certainly ran, has the size. Sorry. I said Bolt certainly has the size. Oh, he's yeah, six yeah, four. Yeah. He's you know he's he's a huge guy. He's got you know I don't think I don't I wouldn't even begin to th- guess how much what his muscle mass is. He's probably he's probably got a body fat thing of like twelve. I mean it's like nothing. Uh, there's not an ounce of fat on that guy. Well, there's there's a story there for you, Ira. Go out and talk to uh, Bucks defensive coordinator Mike Smith and ask him uh, how would you uh, design a defense to pass defense against Usain Bolt. Jim, how's the um, how are the uh, Olympic ratings been uh, the last uh, three or four days? The last few days have been good. It's always and it usually is for swimming and gymnastics. Swimming and gymnastics are the are the real things that that hold up prime time and hold up viewership. I will say this, you know, NBC comes under a lot of, of hassle and a lot of criticism for their packaging of their nighttime programming, which of course means in some regards, delaying certain events. Well, this year online through their app, they put it out there. So there's everything, you can watch everything live. Now, the swimming was presented, for the most part, in live, but the gymnastics wasn't. And if you were a gymnastics fan, you could watch this year the gymnastics in, um, you know, on, uh, through their streaming video apps, and a lot of people did. And by doing that, they then went back and watched it again. So ratings-wise, this is not as good ratings as, um, as the London games, right. but – on the nights that there have been major swimming events and major gymnastics events, they have surpassed London. And we're talking about, uh, I, I always say this, Ira, there's no such thing as bad ratings when it comes to the World Series. There's no such thing as bad ratings when it comes to uh, the NBA playoffs or, or in this case, the Olympics or, or any the Super Bowl. Event. Like the that's Super certainly Bowl. the Super Bowl, right. In large part because you're still going to win the night. It's just by how much. And in the case of uh, what has happened over the past week, I mean, it hasn't even been close. NBC has swamped everyone else in their competition with 22, 23, 24 million homes uh, watching uh, these uh, these events. And that's those are ratings that are, you know, again, Super Bowl-esque type ratings. And you've with got a good paying, audience. I was going to say, with what they're paying for those rights, they better win the night. Better yeah. win every night by like a lot. <laughs> yeah, a billion here, a billionaire, it adds up, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, you're listening to the Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast. Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman, Tim Williams with us today. And guys, uh, before we put a bow on this, what was the, so far, and there's not much of it left, but so far, 
a moment, something at the Olympics that you've seen that you just said to yourself, you know what? That makes me feel good. That that's a good thing. I'm uh, I'm gonna go with Phelps um, touching the wall. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody within his zip code, Joe. Um, that be uh, you know beatific smile uh, on his face, uh, waggling his fingers with four, um, and he's very not, he's not very demonstrative, Joe. Normally, um, no. And uh, and just you know, I think laying the foundation, guys. I know he, he's denying it, but laying the foundation for uh, the next Olympic Games. And Joe, uh, in the water, I call him the truth. But out of the water, I don't believe anything he says, Joe. So I think he's going to be back. I don't, but uh, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but I would say the uh, for me the the jaw-dropping moment was, and, and the Phelps one with the finger wag and the, you know, the kind of the Dikembe Mutombo, uh-uh-uh look, that, that was pretty cool. <laughs> but Katie Ledecky in the 800-meter um, yeah. freestyle, Amazing. winning by, uh, that was secretariat was yeah. what that was. And <laughs> just, you know, where, did the other swimmers drop out of the race? <laughs> What's going on here? And that was just, just phenomenal. She won um, one of her races by 17 seconds. Oh my goodness! Oh my. I mean, goodness. just just forget it. So you know, it's she's she's special, and and you know that that's been a treat. To, that was a treat to watch. Tim. Well, I, certainly the swimming moments were fantastic. Both Phelps and Ledecky were were amazing, but I'll go with the Olympic golf event, which came in with so much skepticism. A lot of golfers didn't want to go. Some people thought it was a bad idea to even have golf in the Olympics. The idea of doing it on a course that had never been played before by anybody was, well, that's strange for any high-end golf tournament. So it came in with all this skepticism, but then you watch the final day, and you have an American charging up the leaderboard. It, it's odd to talk about someone finishing third in an event, but Matt Kuchar did medal and medaled almost out of nowhere. And then the final pairing with Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson going at it all the way down to the last green, that ended up being a very memorable event for something that came in with so much skepticism. And, you know, as great as the swimming events were, and I would agree that that's the real takeaway from the Olympics thus far, I would say that went off without a hitch, and people were not expecting that. What about for you, Jim? For me, it's kind of a personal thing. Marta Crayoli, Bella Crayoli's wife, those two, since they moved to the United States, I had a pleasure when I was in Houston back in the 80s. Uh, going over and 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 having uh, you know met them and then becoming friends, I think for me Marta Crioli's um, influence on the final five gymnasts was really special to me because the what the Criolis have done for gymnastics in the United States since they came over here and created basically one after the other of you know, a, a an Olympic 
powerhouse in gymnastics and women's gymnastics and gym, gymnasts of all colors and gymnasts of all races and creeds. I mean, it's, it looks like an international team, not just, you know, one monolithic group. And I think that it's all because of Marta Crioli and what she and her husband Bella have done uh, and how they've been behind the sport. And for her to go out uh, with with winning, with ha so many of the, the the gymnasts being so dominant in their areas for me, I, I just felt good for Marta Crioli because she's a wonderful lady. She's a good coach and she's just, she truly actually cares about each and every one of those kids that's on that team. And it's, uh, you know, normally, as you guys know, coaches don't get gold medals. And uh, it, I just think it, it, her gold medal was seeing all of the success that those kids had in that event uh, this year. And she had some phenomenally talented kids in that, uh, in that women's gymnastics team. They are, they're synonymous with that sport, Jim. Synonymous. Yep. Yeah, all the way going back, of course, to Nadia Komenich and, and all the way through that. But when they did come over here and they have that lovely uh, facility in the Houston area and, and the, the ranch out there now, it's uh, they are just they're just incredibly good people and nice people. And uh, I suppose that uh, I've seen Bella take some people through their uh, through their through their paces as a coach. And there's been times when he's. Uh, used some language to some 12 and 13 year olds, which I'm not quite sure that uh, their parents would have enjoyed, but uh, it, you know, he's a results driven guy. And uh, just as much as he yells at people, he cares every bit about them as well. So I think that they've given a lot to the sport. And I'm just, again, happy that Martha uh, got her, got her win with the fabulous five. They're the final five. So anyway, I'll tell you what, guys, let's take a break. And we'll be back. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit about football and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the pennant race because I know Ira is ready to just uh, strangle Bruce Bochy and, uh, and get after the Giants. <laughs> so tell you what, after this break, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit baseball and we'll talk some uh, football as well. You are listening to the Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast on sportstalkflorida.com and, of course, Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to this edition of the Sunshine Boys Sports Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. With us, Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman, and uh, our guest, Tim Williams, who comes to us from Boston, where he is our national baseball writer for Sports Talk Florida. And Ira, you started this production before we got started with a little bit of angst about your your San Francisco Giants, Mr. Boshi and the boys, having uh, hitting a bit of a, a rough patch. You know, Jim, I, I can just see Henderson. He can't wait to get the microphone because he's <laughs> going to say, shut up, Kaufman. You, you've won three World Series in, in, in five years. Uh, and I understand that, Joe. Uh, now, look, uh, as a Giant fan, I'm going through it here. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with that bullpen. Uh, Tim? Uh, I know you follow this sport very closely. As far as I'm concerned, gentlemen, uh, the story of the 2016 baseball season uh, was and remained uh, the Chicago Cubs, uh, who after a lull 
uh, I would say, three- or four-week lull when they didn't play very well. Uh, now, now look again like the best team in baseball. Uh, Joe, they got the right guy leading them. Uh, they got a heck of a team. Uh, I think it's all about the Cubs right now. Uh, I agree, but before I say, before I get into that shut up, cop, and you won three out of five years. There you, okay? there you get go, over. Jimmy. There you go, Jimmy. <laughs> get over it. And one of those came at the expense of my Cincinnati Reds, where we had you down two games to none, yeah. coming home for three games, and we got swept, and Dusty Baker got fired, and I don't want to hear about it, okay? Now, so, uh, are you rooting for the Cubs, Joe, at this point? Well, of course. Although. I have to say that um, it's a refreshing story, and if they win, I believe everybody in the country will say they are Cubs fans. Uh, I'm not rooting for the Cubs as much as I am Joe Madden. I, I just I admit it. I like Joe Madden, and I like Davey Martinez, his his bench coach. Uh, Davey's a, a class act and always has been. Uh, Ben Zobrist, how can you not feel thrilled for him with what's going on up there? But uh, Joe Madden, and I, I say this without uh, fear of trepidation, is arguably the best manager in the game. And I know your boy Bruce Bochy would go, would hold up three World Series rings and go, hey, what about those? Uh, and I, Bochy, that is not to diminish him at all. But the way Madden goes about it uh, is just, different and it works for him uh and i believe and i I said this at the time when he left the rays i believe he saw an opening uh to go to chicago even though the cubs had a manager at the time i think he saw a chance to uh to get to to become i guess you would say a legend because anybody who wins the world series with the chicago cubs it's a drop the mic moment. You've done it. There's nothing else to conquer. So we may be watching history, uh, and I hope we are. Tim, I don't know. Tim, I don't know if you've ever met Joe Madden, Tim, up in Boston, but if you ever meet him, you're never going to forget him. Jim, same for you. Um, yeah, I've met him many times. I, I like Joe. He, I don't know anybody that doesn't like him. He's not a phony. Um, his interests go way beyond baseball. Uh, I think I speak uh, for Joe saying uh, every time we knew we were going to go to Tropicana Field, the first thing we thought about was we, we get to spend some time with Madden. Well, yeah, he's certainly in that conversation you mentioned earlier for best manager in baseball. He, You can't have that conversation without him at this point, it seems. I would say managers are probably the story of this year outside of the Cubs. If you look at the standings, a lot of teams in first place right now were with a first place share in Baltimore's case are led by some of the best managers in baseball. The Cubs are running away with a tough division in the central. The Pirates are a good team. The Cardinals have been a good team for a long time now. And the Cubs are just putting them in the rearview mirror. They've never really been close. The Giants have Bochi, and that might be what's what has them holding on right now to their first place spot and holding off a surging Dodgers team that they've, they have this manager that has been able to go through it over the years and has always kept a cool head in any crisis. And then you have Cleveland, managed by Terry Francona, who I think belongs in that conversation as well. 
and they're running away with the AL Central. They have this fantastic pitching staff. I would also say when you mentioned Joe Madden and you mentioned the legend that would he would become if the Cubs win, I'm pretty sure that's been Theo Epstein's selling point to get players, managers, anyone he wants to come there is showing them what the pot of gold might be at the end of that rainbow, that if you're the guy or if you're part of that team, there are so many Cubs fans, and that city loves their Cubs so much that win it once or even get there once, and you're theirs forever. Well, and you would know about uh, a lot about that being up in Boston because, you know, of course, Theo was part of, of what happened with the Red Sox, which – you know, they were the Cubs of, of the last decade. Uh, and, you know, once they got over the hump, you know, the, you know, the Red Sox, they, 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 there were a lot of people that, that visited graveyards that night to, to, to tell their long lost relatives that, that we finally made it. And uh, the Red Sox finally, you know, finally did what they did. Uh, they certainly had the same sordid, a heartbreaking history that the Cubs have. And there's, there's a lot of parallels between what happened in Boston and, and what may be happening in Chicago. Uh, so at this point on paper, it's hard to see anybody beating the Cubs, but as we know, the game is not played on paper. And uh, that's where Joe Madden's real strength will come in because he won't let his players get caught up in the whole Billy goat curse and all that stuff he will deflect all of that tension and attention onto himself so they can go out and do what they do uh at this point better than any other team in baseball i you know one other jim one other manager i think's quietly doing a good job tim is uh don mattingly um in miami um shunted aside by the dodgers uh where i didn't think he did bad i think he won three straight nl west titles um didn't perform particularly well in the postseason, but uh, the Marlins are an interesting team, an exciting team, mm-hmm. uh, and Tim, and they're, and they're hanging in the NL uh, wildcard chase right now. Yeah, they're they're a great team to watch, especially every fifth day when they have Fernandez pitching. There might be better pitchers right now, that's arguable, but I don't think there are any that are as much fun to watch when they're on TV. I'm I'm glad I have the MLB TV package every time he pitches for the Marlins because I'm glad I can watch those games. He, he's a thrill to watch, and I think you're right. Mattingly's doing a fantastic job in Miami. How many people would have been tempted to start Ichiro every day right when he started leading up to 3,000 hits, and Mattingly kept to his plan, and now he has a guy that he might have to start him every day now that Stanton's out, but he's a lot fresher than he would be if he had played all through July chasing 3,000 or chasing any other milestones. So I think that's a fantastic job. And I think his replacement in L.A., Dave Roberts, has done a good job in his own right. He has. He has. And, uh, you know, Jim, the the Marlins' future looks a a lot brighter, I think, uh, than the Rays right now. Yeah, I think that the only caveat I would put on that is that they've got one of the worst owners in baseball, and that would be, um, of course, the the beloved uh, Jeffrey Loria, who, who who can screw up a two car funeral. But uh, until he pro, until he shows me that he's got the patience to be a, a uh, 
a, a top flight owner. I think right now he's he's sitting back and enjoying the ride. But look, guys, I I got to put in two cents for my boy Dusty Baker. Dusty's a great guy. I love him to death. Uh, the Nationals are doing pretty well. Uh, I know again, there's no you cannot not like Joe Madden. You can't not like the concept that the Cubs, God forbid, could actually maybe just maybe make it to the World Series and beyond. Uh, my hope, and Tim, you're going to love this one. My hope is that if somehow, some way, the Cubs would win, that their fans would not turn to become the obnoxious fans that the Red Sox used. They used to be charming. Now they're obnoxious. You know. <laughs> I, I second. I second that. By the way. Yeah, well, you gotta defend, you gotta say, defend your people, Tim. Come on. Well, I'd say this. You said if the Cubs make the World Series, everyone in America will be a Cubs fan. Right up until the last out, and then you'll find reasons you've always hated the Cubs and you never <laughs> want to hear from their fans again. It, it's the only thing people really love about lovable losers is the losing, and they love making those jokes. And you take those jokes away and they'll never forgive you. So any Cubs fans listening we're all pulling for you right up until you do it. And then I'm not so sure we're all going to be pulling for you anymore. Take it from someone who lives in Boston where overnight they went from being charming to the bad guy. And I don't know if anything changed here, but I know that they stopped being a team you want to win. <laughs> Tim, what's, go- Tim, what's going on with David Price? Uh, every time I look, he, he, he's pitching, you know, five innings, giving up four runs. And well, what's going on with Price? Well, it's something going along or going on with a lot of pitchers in the American League. Chris Archer isn't having the season people thought he'd have, and they're not alone in this regard. A lot of aces have been getting shelled this year. The thing you'll notice with almost all of them, though, is their strikeout numbers are as good as ever. If you look at some of Price's peripheral numbers, and I know whether you believe in the newfound stats or not is entirely a matter of opinion, but they keep saying he's doing well, and it's so weird to see that and then watch him pitch where it does seem like he can't get people out at certain times, and he'll get just shelled every now and then. It's hard to watch, and it's hard to explain because he's still getting those strikeout numbers, and you, and you look, it looks like his stuff is still there, but maybe it's some kind of surge in power hitting that's been going around all of baseball because – you know, he's not the only guy that was expected to be an ace of a ball club right now that's really not. Well, you know, one, one thing about David Price was, yeah. was when he was with the Rays, he was, yeah, he, he, he won a Cy Young. He was, he was a dominant pitcher, but he, was, he never came up big in the postseason. And he had ample opportunities to do that. Now, I, I, I say never. I have to immediately qualify that by saying as a rookie, he performed in relief against the Red Sox and, and actually helped nail it down. Got him out of a pieces loaded gym. Yeah, but after he became an established starter, uh, he he had issues uh, in the postseason. I don't know. Uh, he didn't seem to pitch any different. The velocity was there and everything else. But there was a little edge that was gone. And that's something that should the Red Sox make the postseason, I think that's going to be an issue for them too is can he be that bulldog when the games matter the most that they need him to be? Hey, guys, there's a, there's a, here on the Sunshine Network, Sunshine Network, excuse me, date myself, Sunshine uh, Boys <laughs> Sports Podcast, 
Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, Tim Williams. Guys, there's a there's a name I'm going to throw out here. Back in 1988, uh, going toward the end of his career, there was Nolan Ryan, and I did a number of his games toward the end of his career. And Nolan would be a guy who would strike out nine or ten guys on an average a game, maybe even 11 guys in an average game, end up walking four or five, sometimes seven, end up getting beat on one or two hits because he'd walk guys to get himself into places. And basically it seemed like the only time he was getting people out was when he's striking them out. And I'm wondering if, you know, if there's any parallel, Tim, you watch price, some of these guys that I'm, I watch Max Scherzer and there's, I mean, Max strikes people out all the time, but there'll be a time when, you know, he'll give up a home run here or give up a home run there. He'll get himself into trouble only because it seems like he's got no problem striking people out. It's that one pitch that he's challenging somebody on that ends up ending up on the other side of the fence. I think maybe pitchers are increasingly becoming afraid of contact. Like I said, if you look, the strikeout numbers are up almost across the board in baseball. Lots of strikeouts this year. And if you look at who's getting them, you might think, well, maybe David Price isn't having such a bad season. He's one of the AL leaders in strikeouts. But then when teams start hitting the ball, he doesn't look so good anymore. And it used to be, and there are still pitchers that can do this, that you can get out of the inning with three pitches, just three ground balls to short. That's the ideal inning for a lot of pitchers. Then you get to pitch the whole game that way. And now it seems like they'd rather throw a 30-pitch inning where they get three strikeouts, which is great uh, if you have a bullpen that can take four innings a game. You know, uh, Tim, well, you mentioned uh, advanced analytics. Uh, Joe, tell me what you think about this. But, uh, you know, I think uh, you can get warped a little bit if, if you get into that too much. Well, Price still has his velocity, his case. Uh, Joe, how, how many runs is the guy giving up? That, that's what I care about. How many runs? Uh, and I'll give you an example, Jim, of this uh, technology run amok. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now they're tracking the velocity that the, the home runs are hit. Who, who cares? Who cares? Um, if it's a 450-foot home run, uh, all, all four of us know that that ball was whacked uh, very solidly. Uh, I don't need to know exit velocity. Uh, these people have gadgets, and, and they, they can't wait to play with them, Jimmy. No, there's, you know, Ira, you, get, you bring up a good point. We've all been able and privileged enough to stand behind a batting cage. And I got to tell you, what fascinated me in watching guys hit the ball, I mean, really guys who could hit the ball, is how the ball physically changes, you know, it no longer is round anymore. When when they hit that ball and you know it's going out of the ballpark, it literally looks as if it's lopsided on that area where they just hit it because of the contact that they hit it with and the power that they hit it with. Yeah. I mean, when you say that a guy just throws a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, but the home run leaves the ballpark at 141 miles an hour, it's like, okay, <laughs> I was watching it. It did get out of there fast. I don't really need to know it went 141 miles an hour to get out of there, but okay, good. You know, good on you. Um, well, pitching is all about pitching is all about location, right? And it always has been. And velocity, uh, to me, is one of the more overrated 
uh, things that we look at. We love, you know, Araldus Chapman because he busts 100 miles an hour on the on the uh, on the radar, and we love the guys who throw 96, 98. But give me a guy who can take a uh, maybe a 91 mile an hour fastball, but put it where you can't hit it. And I will, you give me a staff of those guys and I'm going to beat you because it's not about the strikeouts. It's about forcing the, the ground balls and, and trusting your defense, which is when Joe Madden was with the Tampa Bay Rays, that is what they stressed. They stressed pitching and defense. They didn't go out and try to strike everybody out. It was, you know, the game, you've got fielders out there, use them. And sometimes um, in this whole analytics thing, I think we we lose sight of the fact it is not an individual game. It is a team game. And, and well, guys, uh, to that ahead, point, uh, Tim, you could relate to this. Uh, look, it's hard for all of us to watch a three-hour baseball game without a, a magazine in our hand or, or something uh, and be in on every pitch. Uh, but, Jim, there was a guy 10 years ago, 15 years ago, every time he pitched on television, I watched the entire game. I never missed a pitch. That guy's name was Greg Maddox. Um, I just loved the analytical approach, and as like Joe said, he threw it where you can't do much with it. And he was a joy to watch. And, by the way, Joe, when you do that, you get a lot better fielding behind you, too, because they're on their toes. Absolutely. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, the the game moves at a faster pace. Uh, the Ira's point about the three-hour baseball game is right, and it really, in in the big picture, wasn't all that long ago that they used to play World Series games in two hours, and they've got to do something to speed up the game. And but that's a that's a rant for another time. Use your trust your teammates. Put let them put the ball in play, uh, but make them hit your pitch and worry more about location than velocity. You know, I talked to John Smoltz um, a while back. We were watching. You know, about uh, we were talking about Steven Strasburg. We were talking about a number of other young pitchers. And one of the things that Smoltz said that young pitchers tend to get hung up in is the strikeout situation and the pitch to contact is probably the most important thing you can learn to do, making them, as you say, Joe, hit your pitch and pitch to contact and get a four or a five pitch uh, inning so that you can go deep into games. And, and I think that there are just as, you know, as we see so many good strikeout pitchers, I think we're also seeing some good pitch to contact hit pitchers uh, in this particular era because you can make them, you know, hit your pitch, but nothing like the, uh, you know, Ira, you talked about Maddox. There was Glavin and there was, um, uh, gosh, I'm leaving the third guy out of that Braves. Uh, you talked well, to him Smoltz, earlier. Smoltz you mentioned him because you spoke to him. Smoltz. Smoltz. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, they were, they're, they're really, they weren't really power pitchers. They were all finesse. They were all painters and they all basically pitched to contact. And, uh, I think possibly Smoltz was the guy who threw the ball the hardest, but I think he was. I he think wasn't he was. really yes, a strikeout pitcher, you know, in that regard. He just threw it hard. But well, of well, the three, uh, he's the guy that could strike you out. But you're right; none yeah. of them were really strikeout pitchers. And it's gotten to the point that if you throw a complete game and you do it in less than 100 pitches, 
baseball people now call that a Maddox. Wow. Wow. Well, it also helped. It also helped Greg Maddox that the umpire would give him a strike that was a foot off the plate. But that's that's another thing. Uh, but that's, that I, I like to think you it. make your own luck with refs. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Hey, Ira, you wrote a column today that was very interesting about uh, Stu Sternberg and um, and his glowing uh, glowing endorsement uh, of of Kevin Cash. Uh, it, it, does he deserve a glowing endorsement? I don't I, think so, but that's just I, me. I called it, you know, Joe, I, I called it an insult to Rays fans uh, who are frustrated, but they're not stupid. Um, and to try to imply that Kevin Cash is doing a, quote, tremendous job, and, and you are, quote, ecstatic with Matt Silverman, uh, who's running baseball ops. Um, boy, did they miss uh, Madden and Friedman uh, in that order. Um, you know, all he had to say was, you know, we got every faith in cash going forward. He's not on the hot seat, and, and I'm fine with that. But I, he went overboard, Tim, for uh, and in, in a place when he had no reason to go overboard, and, and I thought he just comes off uh, being a silly owner. It it is a little bit hard. It's a little bit far to go to say he's doing a tremendous job. The Rays, I thought they'd be almost in contention for a playoff spot this year, given their rotation. Though they've had some setbacks nobody could control, and Chris Archer's had a couple setbacks, which has hurt them. But they're not performing the way that people thought coming into the season they might perform. And while I think Cash is doing a decent job, and certainly in the shadow of Joe Madden, it's really hard for anyone to look good because what he did with the Rays is so fantastic and so far beyond anyone's expectations that there was really no matching that. But you're right. To say a tremendous job, that's a little that's a little far to go with Cash. He shouldn't be on the hot seat. They shouldn't talk about replacing him. But there is something left to be desired so far, and he, there are some valid criticisms you can put on Kevin Cash this year. How come Dave well, and, uh, Martinez didn't get the job? Well, because they didn't really think that he was the right guy for it at the time. Um, you you can debate that here and or there, but I think what they wanted was a clean break from the from the Joe Madden era with Friedman gone and and then and then Joe. Here's the problem though with this year's team beyond the injuries and and injuries have been a factor, but you know, everybody has injuries. What happened last season was Matt Silverman, in his role as as uh, GM, if you will, basically altered the Rays' DNA. You know, and by that I mean he traded, made a lot of moves and everything to beef up the offense, but in so doing, it really damaged them defensively, particularly at shortstop. And so... The idea was, well, we will, we'll score some more runs, uh, you know, and it'll be great. But now all of a sudden, you know, instead of winning a three to two ball game, they're losing a, a, a seven to four game or an, or an eight to five game. The bullpen is blown out. The bullpen has been a train wreck from day one. And then you layer onto that uh, some of the, uh, the other injury problems you have, and you got a very bad baseball team. And I think, Kevin Cash deserves some of that criticism, but 
I'm going to go back to the guy who made the moves. Uh, Sternberg said he didn't make those moves in a vacuum, but Matt Silverman, at the end of the day, his name, his stamp is on this team, and he, he bears at least as much blame for what's happened as Kevin Cash does, in my opinion. You know, Tim, Tim, they brought Miller in to play shortstop, saying that he's got a good stick, uh, which he does. But guess what? He's not a shortstop. So now they're thinking about moving him to first base. Uh, you know, the scouting, as Joe points out, um, leaves a lot to be desired uh, uh, the last year or two. Uh, these moves, and, and there's still, Jim, the eternal quest for a catcher in Tampa Bay. They can't mm-hmm. find a catcher who's even adequate. I've never seen anything like it. And that's Kevin Cash's position. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they had a, they had a chance to draft uh, your man Buster Posey. They Didn't did. do it. They did. Didn't do it. Did. Took Tim, Tim Beckham instead. How's that working <laughs> out? I'm going to go not as well as it should have, uh, actually. Jim, uh, Jim, do you think, um, you think your Nationals have a shot at, uh, at the World Series? I do. I think they do. Uh, you know, they're they're a pretty good team. They're a deep team. We had a, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, with the situation with the, if I, and correct me if I know you will correct me if I'm wrong, Ira. I think they split that series with um, they did the overall they series did. with the with the Giants, and uh, they have, you know, they didn't they caught the uh, they caught the Cubs early, and didn't play well. Uh, that was kind of one of the odd situations. Joe Madden, and this is where you know you guys were talking about the brilliance of Joe Madden. In a in a four game series, Joe Madden walked Bryce Harper twelve times. Intentionally walked him twelve times. Three times he intentionally walked him with to load the bases, and they didn't score a run. And since Joe, that Joe Madden time, plays without fear. Let's just let's just acknowledge that. Oh, and he was probably goes. inside your team's head at that point. Oh, he um, he had built a condo in. Yeah, uh, he's still in Harper's head. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Jim, what's going on with Harper right now? What's what's going on with Harper? Well, Harper, Harper got into a little bit of funk. He it was something he hadn't ever gotten into, and. Uh, and now it seems like he's starting to get back in there. But to be honest, Ira, he pitchers have decided, you know what? We're just not going to pitch to him. And, you know, when you're a hitter and you're not seeing pitches, you decide, okay, I'm going to expand my strike zone. I'm going to I'm going to get out of my game plan. I'm going to start hitting. And instead of being the disciplined kid that he was last year, he started to say, you know, gosh, I hate getting walked all the time. I, I want to get a hit here. I want to get a hit there. And so he, he kind of got off his game. And I think what Dusty did was he decided, you know, we're going to do one thing here. We're going to find out if Harper's, you know, having some nagging injuries or, or a back problem or whatever it is, or if it's in his head, we're going to sit him down for five days. And they basically sat him down for five days. And he didn't play, and he came back on Sunday, and he had a pretty good day. Then uh, last night he went three for three, so he had a pretty good day in that situation. So he's getting back there, but, um, you know, we'll have to see. The Nationals will not be able to win a World Series if Bryce Harper isn't healthy. That's for darn sure. You know, Joe, another guy that Dusty Baker managed, and you know very well, uh, 
exactly what Jim was describing. You know, wasn't seeing any pitches. Um, and where Harper has losing his discipline, Tim, that man that I'm talking about, and it's got nothing to do, zero, with steroids, is Barry Bonds. And the one thing you can never take away from Bonds is he's had, he had the greatest eye any of us have ever seen, and he had the greatest discipline. This guy would go through games where literally he had one pitch to swing at, and by God, he hit it for a home run. Uh, we're never going to see anything like that, I don't think, in our lifetime. I, I think I have to agree with you. He was the greatest baseball mind I've ever seen. And that's in, just in terms of not only was he only going to see one pitch, he could tell you and everyone else in the stadium what pitch it was going to be. Not just where it was or that he was only going to see one, but he would tell you what pitch it was going to be that he would see. And that's the pitch he was going to hit a country mile. Now, obviously there were some miracles of modern medicine involved in how far he hit the ball. Right. But, you know, they're not Popeye's spinach. They're not magic baseball potion. 104 people in 2003 tested positive for something. We don't know what they tested positive for. We don't know how, you know, we don't really know who was on that list except a couple of names. But there weren't 104 Hall of Fame caliber players in baseball in 2003. So it has to be more than just substances. And I, I would say that about Barry Bonds. It certainly was more than just the sum of what he took or what he got caught doing. And I think people tend to forget that, but the Marlins didn't. You know, Don Mattingly, who played against Barry Bonds, or at the same time, I don't think they ever really played against each other, but they played at the same time, and Mattingly had no problem offering him a job as his hitting coach. And he's doing a heck of a job, Tim. Yes, he is. Guys, I'll tell you what, we're getting close to that time. I have a question for each one of you, and then we'll go. This is kind of our last round, then we'll come back and do some social media stuff. Here's my question. You all three are baseball fans. If there's one guy, you got the, you know, the game's on the line. You can pick any generation at whatever you want to pick. Who's the guy who gets the hit that wins the game for you? Doesn't have to be a home run. Just you just need a hit to get somebody home. I will start with you. Ted Williams. Hard to beat that. Tim? You know, this this might sound biased by where I am, but if it's one hit to win the game, I think it's got to be David Ortiz. Okay. Joseph? Uh, well, Ted Williams is too easy. So uh, we'll, we'll stipulate Williams. You can take but Pete I'm, Rose, uh, Joseph. You can take no, Pete Rose. I'm, you know. I'm going to say Tony Perez. Wow. You know what, Joe? Damn you, you took my guy. Um, wow. <laughs> I like I was, your thinking. Take a clutch hitter. Wow. I was, I was going to say that as a Pittsburgh Pirate fan of, the, of that era, the guy who, you know, Bench was, you know, Bench always got a key hit, it seemed, but when the money was on the table and Sparky used to drive me crazy, 
it he you know tony would step up there and he'd hit it and you'd go holy crap there you know is there any way humanly possible to get this guy out and and joe you know we we were lucky enough to be around tony and his family i don't know if i if you were and tim that was long before your time but uh there couldn't have been a nicer guy on the planet than tony oh. and his family phenomenal people and that whole big red machine uh team was fantastic and and later um when he was in detroit and i i was in that neck of the woods quite a bit it was it was always good to to hang out with sparky because he's he truly was one of the nicest and best guys you'd ever want to be around but Man, it always seemed like Tony Perez was smacking that ball up the middle and the Pirates were walking off the field going, you know, maybe next year. He was a great, he was a great clutch hitter, Joe. No question about yes, it. Yes, he was. Uh, just ask uh, Bill Lee and the Red Sox how they feel about him. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. It's funny. Um, you remember Frank Cashman, the guy who was uh, the Mets general manager? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, I asked Frank that's the question one day. And he said to me, Rusty, stop. And I said, what? He says, I'm going to tell you what, right now. He said, Rusty, stop, could be retired five years. I could pick up the phone and call him. He could roll out of bed, walk over here, and still get me a base hit. He had a so, beautiful swing. He had a beautiful yeah. swing. The Grand Orange, Rusty, There stop. he is. All right, boys and girls, Mr. Kaufman, tell us how we can get in touch with you other than w- reading your wonderful articles on Sports Talk Florida like you should be reading today about Mr. Kevin Cash. Thank you, James. Uh, you can get me on uh, Twitter, uh, people, uh, at iKaufman76, uh, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you. Cool. Tim, you're up. You can find me on Twitter at, at TimWritesSports. Cool. Joseph. And you can find me on Twitter as well as at the initial J Henderson, Tampa. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast right here on sportstalkflorida.com and, of course, on blogtalkradio.com. We hope you enjoyed this edition, and we'll see you next time. Have a good week. 